Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I want to bring in my co-host for the day, filling in for Dave Briggs, who's on assignment maybe in Cabo or somewhere. I don't know. He's on assignment. Carrington Harrison. Carrington, what's up, buddy? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me filling in today. I do want to say about your handsomely good looks. You look like the brawny paper towel guy. You know how he looks like the mountain man? You look like you're about to sell me a six-pack of paper towels for $3.99. Dude, uh, I love the brawny paper towel guy. I'll take that. That guy's a stud. He's got that red flannel shirt going. He's got the big forearms. I love – dude, that's like one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. I love it. That's my – people call me putty a lot from Seinfeld. Uh, That was before I had the beard. Now I'm more – uh, brawny paper towel guy. That's awesome. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, the beard gives everybody an extra 1.5 on your scale of attractiveness. So maybe ladies had you at like a six and a half. The beard puts you at a solid eight. Yo, Carrington, no joke, okay? And we're going to get into Lamar Jackson and all the issues for the Rams. And Carrington lives in Kansas City, works in Kansas City. So I saw people tweeting last night that Lamar Jackson is better than Patrick Mahomes. We'll get into that. I got to ask you first, though. What is, why is your Twitter handle C.Harrison? Is it like C period Harrison? And like so you're like, oh, I'll be creative, C.Harrison? Or am I missing something? Uh, well, in college, I used to listen to a lot of Jay-Z, and he used to call himself S.Carter. So it kind of stuck in college where people just called me C.Harrison, and my name was so long, so it just was easier to call me C. than Carrington. So that's basically the long story short of how I became CDOT Harrison. Okay, so do people call you CDOT? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, mostly people that don't really know me. My close friends don't really call me that. My sister, she started calling me that recently. So when she was younger, she couldn't say Carrington. She could only say brother. And then probably around like eight or nine, she started calling me CDOT because that was easier. She's one of the few like people that are close to me in my life but call me that. But yeah, for the most part, that's what people call me. So most of the people that are close to you, though, like your family and close friends, they call you Carrington. Yeah, for the most part, it's kind of weird because I don't say that I'm self-conscious about my name, but I didn't get named Ross. You know, I didn't get named a normal name that everybody else has. I remember one time someone on Twitter said that my name sound like an apartment complex and my ego has never recovered. <laughs> you know what's funny, by the way, Carrington? I... Uh, I could not say my name until first grade, if you can believe that. Um, I had like a, not a speech impediment, but I had to see a speech therapist when I was younger. Uh, people used to always have me say chocolate chip cookie, and they would make fun of me because I would say chocolate tip cookie. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I remember my best friend's name was Peter. And it's funny because actually everybody calls him Pete, except for his family and me. We all call him Peter, kind of to your point. 
Um, but I remember my parents saying to me, say Ross. And I would say, yas. Say Ross. Yas. No, no. Ra. Ross. Say Ross. Yas. Say Ross. Oh, Petey. Like, I just wanted to change my name. Like, you think Ross is an easy name to say? I don't know what my speech therapy issue was. Shout out uh, Mr. Evans back in kindergarten, first grade. Help me correct that stuff. But I could not say Ross. Like, it's real bad when you're little and people say, what's your name? And you can't say your name properly back. That's probably why I had so many anger issues and probably why football worked out real well for me. I had all this like pent up aggression of people making fun of me, not being able to say my name that once we went out to recess, I would just smash your head into the ground or into the tree because I didn't like that you made fun of me not being able to say my name. Look at that. You use it as motivation. So that's number one. Uh, two things here. You say that you couldn't say your name until first grade. I probably couldn't spell my name until third grade because it's so many letters and vowels and consonants. So that's one thing. And you basically had that. Remember that Laurel and Yanny controversy that was on the Internet a couple of months ago? That's basically what your name is, that you were hearing one thing and everybody else was hearing something different. That's a crazy story. I never would have guessed someone who was lucky enough to have a four letter name struggled pronouncing it up until they were about seven years old. That reminds me. Now, when you were where did you grow up? I grew up in Kansas City. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were from there. Okay. So when mm -hmm. you were growing up, did you guys play like dodgeball? Yeah, we played dodgeball maybe a couple different ways. So we actually played sometimes the circle way, where basically it's one person in the circle and there's like a mob of people around it. And then the one kid stays in the middle. So you keep throwing it back and forth and you keep trying to dodge it. And then if you hit the kid in the middle, you then become the player in the middle. But we also played it the standard way where you line up five people on both sides and we played it. So we played it a couple different ways growing up. So it's weird. Like at my school, why I'm missing Pennsylvania, we had uh, at gym class, we would play all the time. It was called, they called it bombardment. B-O-M-B-A-R-D-M-E-N-T. In hindsight, it was just dodgeball. But for some reason, in my school, they called it bombardment. And I always wonder, Carrington, I've said this before on the show, I was extremely confident growing up. And I don't know if it, there's only two reasons it could have been, okay? Number one, because my mom told me I was the greatest thing in the history of the world every day. And my sister and I laugh at that all the time. Like, my mom was a big confidence booster. Big confidence booster. Uh, and number two, I remember, like, even in kindergarten and first grade, we would play bombardment. And I feel like, Carrington, really early in life, you figure out you're either the guy that can peg all the other kids or you're the kid that gets pegged. And I took so much pleasure in taking that ball and just smashing the other kids in the head. Every, like, I loved it. Like, I would see how many I could take out. And then we would play, like, you'd have to knock a pin over, like a bowling pin. And, like, people would guard the bowling pin. So I would peg that girl in the head. She was out. Then I would hit the pin. Like, so I don't know if my confidence in life when I was little came from my mom just blowing me up or me just wrecking shit up in bombardment in kindergarten and first grade.
I mean, you probably had a beard in second grade, too. So, I mean, I would have the most confidence in the world if I had facial hair at eight years old like you probably did. Yes, dodgeball is certainly a survival of the fittest game that you see natural selection in its purest and raw form. You see who the athletic kids are and who the non-athletic kids are. Like, if you want to see the career choices that people are going to make, we learn that in, in elementary school whenever we play dodgeball because you can see the people that will gravitate towards sports and the people that will be really athletic growing up and the people who will probably be accountants and make a lot of money doing something as far away from athletics as humanly possible. I'm not a big I told you so guy. Actually, you know what? I don't know why I always say that. I'm a huge I told you so guy. <laughs> I freaking love saying I told you so. And I said yesterday that the Ravens were going to smash the Rams – and that's exactly what happened. The Rams are in trouble. See that? We'll get to that. But I just think the Ravens are on another level right now. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I prefer to just give you a blank slate. What was your biggest takeaway from that game? Rams ineptitude, the Ravens offense, Lamar himself, the Ravens Harbaugh aggress. Like what was what was like? When you were taking notes or watching the game last night, what jumped out to you the most? Really quick, I don't know if you've been watching Disney Plus or not, but Lamar Jackson is basically Vince from Recess. Like, he is the just most athletic kid on the playground, and I think people knew at a very early age. I think where we have to start in the game is I think there's only two people that can win NFL MVP. I think it's Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson, and I think Lamar's clearly in front. I think that coming into the season, a lot of us thought that the second-year quarterback that was going to take that step forward was going to be Baker Mayfield. I know I was certainly on that train, and it's been Lamar Jackson. He's been downright fantastic, and I hear people make this argument all the time of, well, just force him to be one-dimensional. Tell me what team in the NFL is stopping the run of the Baltimore Ravens. If the Patriots couldn't do it and he could run against them, I don't know if there's a team in the NFL that can force the Ravens to be one-dimensional. What I like most about their team, Ross, is – I think we see that this year a lot of teams, even as we get closer to Thanksgiving, don't truly have an identity. The Ravens are one of the few teams in the NFL that I know exactly what I'm going to get every single Sunday and Monday when I sit down in front of the television. They're going to run the ball effectively. They're going to play defense. They're going to be aggressive when it comes to coaching and making fourth down decisions. And they're probably just going to beat you. And this defense has even gotten better with Marcus Peters, his energy and his attitude. I'm a firm believer that teams take on the personality of their leader and their best player. That's exactly what's happened with Lamar Jackson. I saw the tweet from Florio. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. I don't think he is as good as Patrick Mahomes. But if we're talking about him being an elite-level quarterback and a top-five quarterback in the league, I think we have to agree. I think every generation we see an advancement of a position. And I think we're seeing Michael Vick 2.0. I think we're seeing exactly what Michael Vick could have been in Atlanta if he had been a better passer or if the league had been conducive to his skill set. you got to think about it. When Vic played, they weren't running a lot of the concepts in the scheme. Can you imagine Vic running a majority RPO-based and the passing windows as open as it is right now? Vic maybe could have turned into Lamar Jackson. I think we're seeing the, that the college offenses have just infused themselves so perfectly in the NFL that I don't know if Lamar works the way that he's working now in any other era beside the ones that he's playing in. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of good stuff there, See that, And we'll get into the Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson a little bit later. You know, the reason why I thought that the Ravens were going to smash the Rams is the same reason why the Ravens are number one in my power rankings right now. And it's because they 
have fully embraced the quarterback-centric run game more than any team in NFL history. And I think that there are some legitimate and fair questions about how sustainable it is long-term, and I want to ask you about that, see that? But in the near term, <coughs> it is almost impossible to defend. So every Saturday, Carrington, I do a game for CBS Sports Network, which means on Fridays, usually I meet with college defensive coordinators, some of whom used to be at the NFL level, and they all say the same thing, Ross, uh, college D coordinator, way harder, way harder. And the biggest reason for that is the quarterback-centric run game. Because so often you're able to get the extra guy in the box against the run. So everybody has a gap. You got the one unblocked defender. When the quarterback's a threat on every single snap to carry the ball, or at least he carries out the fake, you lose that advantage. And when that guy's Lamar Jackson, you've got major, major problems. And that's why I got to tell you, I, I was a Russell Wilson MVP guy probably even until last night because as great as Lamar Jackson has been, I feel like the Ravens have a significant schematic advantage right now every time they take the field. And I don't think that's the case with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are 9-2 and two because Russell Wilson is just tremendous and makes some ridiculous throws and has tremendous touch. And he's amazing. I think a big reason why the Ravens are 9-2 and two is because of the scheme. That said, over the last few weeks, Lamar Jackson has been so dominant and so spectacular. I think he probably has a little bit of an edge on Russell Wilson right now. But I tweeted this last night, uh, Carrington, at Ross Tucker NFL. You know, Saturday actually Sunday morning, but Saturday night, I'll be calling the Army at Hawaii game. It'll be my eighth Army game this year. And even when I don't do Army games, and I do some of these other teams like UCF, the quarterback runs a lot, Tulane, the quarterback runs all the time. You know, especially though, when you're playing an option team like Army, Air Force, or Navy, and you really only see it once a year, you can try to practice it all you want, right? You'll get some wide receiver to try to be the quarterback. You'll get the scout team to try to run it. it. You're just not able to do it justice. And these NFL teams are trying to replicate the Ravens and their quarterback-centric run game. And even if they show the guy on the card and tell him what they want him to do, they're just not able to operate at nearly as fast of a pace as the Ravens do it with all the different reads and all the different read options they're doing. So it takes them several series to adjust at all, which is why the Ravens get a lead in every game they play in. And then it forces you, based on your essentially option responsibilities, to play man-to-man. And guess what? If Lamar Jackson's completing his passes and he's accurate like he was again last night against man-to-man coverage, forget it. It's a wrap. It's over. Um, I think you, you would certainly get this just from playing football at a high level. 
I think we see that football in all its changes that you're talking about, and you're certainly 100% correct when you talk about the evolution of offenses and college offenses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it is still a can you dominate at the line of scrimmage. And it's no surprise the two teams that have been the best in the regular season just dominate at the point of attack. The Baltimore Ravens are the best running team in the NFL, and I would say the defensive line of the San Francisco 49ers, they've been elite this season. Those are the two best units, I would say, in the NFL, so it's no surprise that they've dominated the way that they have. I'm just a big believer that styles make fights and that certain the way that teams play just causes mismatch problems for so many teams. I think the Ravens cause so many mismatches to kind of allude to what you're saying is they're zagging when everyone else is zigging. Everyone else in the NFL is trying to throw more and trying to be more up-tempo when it comes to passing the football, where Baltimore is just such a quarterback-centric running team, and they're going to pound the line of scrimmage, and they're going to run the ball effectively. And I think that's re- what's really given them the advantage. They don't play like any other team in the NFL. Uh, an offense like Kansas City, you can prepare for Kansas City's offense. Maybe you don't have all the weapons that can stop their offense, but their offense is not much different than 17 other teams in the NFL. There's no team that runs what Baltimore does, and if you only have six days to prepare for it and you don't have someone on your scout team that is as fast as Lamar Jackson, you are just at such a disadvantage when it comes defensively to stopping them. You brought up long-term. I think that too many times we try to think about a quarterback in a 10-year and 12-year span. What if this Lamar Jackson thing works for four years? What if he's 2015 Cam Newton and this is the 2015 Carolina Panthers? He's still on a rookie contract. You got time to make a decision on if it's going to work long term and how you're going to pay him. Would you give Lamar Jackson $38 million a year and pay him like he's Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. But on a rookie contract that allows you to create the roster that they've put around him, he is the perfect quarterback for that situation. So I think sometimes we get into the habit of, and I understand, thinking that teams have found their forever quarterback. And what if you found a really good quarterback for the next four seasons, and this is just going to be a perfect time capsule where it's going to work and you're going to be able to win a Super Bowl, and Baltimore has as good a chance of any to do so? One of the things that I love is to really get the pulse of the city, to be able to know how the callers, the fans, and even the sports talk hosts in that city actually feel and to sense their passion for what are national stories but get the inside local slant. And we do that every week here on Home and Home. Speaking of Philly, they're kind of freaking out right now, Carrington, about how Carson Wentz has played the last two games. Let's take a listen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WIP Morning Show. Doug, City is very frustrated. They and should they really, be. They, they should be. They, you are too, aren't you? I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. We're frustrated. The team's frustrated. This is not us. This is not uh, who we are. We're, we're right now, we're, we're, we're playing great defense and uh, not so great offense the last couple of weeks. So it's something that uh, we understand that has to, well, I know this, the fans deserve better. You know, one of the things, um, and and you know, listen, I, I've never used injury as a, as an excuse for for anything that we do. You know, um, we do have a lot of guys that are, that are missing. Uh, when you go down the list, Alshon, Nelly, Jordan, Lane. I mean, there's guys down the list that are starters for us that are missing. You know, substantial games, and so that that can affect timing, that can affect rhythm, that can affect your execution. Ladies and gentlemen of Philadelphia, I have the following comments 
directed to the following people. Number one, to Doug Peterson, whose play calling is reminiscent of Rich Kotite, cowardly and stupid. Two, the players who have decided to no longer be warriors and no longer be anything resembling a male. You are an embarrassment to the male gender. To Howie Roseman, who has decided to not field a professional football team. It was like watching the third preseason game of the year. To the medical staff, who cannot figure out a way to get players to come back. To Mother Nature, who has decided two Sundays in a row to have 50-mile-an-hour winds and crappy weather in the fall. To all of you, I say this. You suck! You suck! Go to you know where! I can't stand you right now! You are cowards! You are an embarrassment to the city! And I am very, very, very mad and embarrassed to say that I rooted for you! And finally, what you have done to Carson Wentz, his head is so screwed up, he doesn't know which way is up anymore, and you made him suck too! All of you, goodbye! Till next year, pitchers and catchers in 90 days! Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny from the Dirty 30. Would you be shocked if they lost to Miami? Yes. Uh-huh. No. I'm not prepared to answer that question uh-huh. on a Monday. Week. Please. Oh, brother, I demand you remove that question. Yeah, yes, Carrington. That is uh, right near where I grew up. I grew up about an hour west in Reading, PA. Uh, you know, you heard Doug Peterson. Let me ask you this. I, Because, I, you know... I'm so close to it that I like to get a neutral observer whose opinion I respect's thoughts, okay? So, on Sunday, they were without their top three receivers. Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar. Their receivers, none of whom had caught a pass since September. It was Jordan Matthews, Mac Hollins, they uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside, and they pulled up Greg Ward from the practice squad. They also did not have Lane Johnson, maybe their best lineman at right tackle. So they moved Andre Dillard, who's really only a left tackle at this point, to right tackle. That was an issue. And uh, Brandon Brooks uh, suffers from anxiety attacks. He is a tremendous player. But Lane Johnson is really interesting, actually, because Lane Johnson has helped him a lot with his anxiety. And I wonder if not having Lane next to him and Lane to help him with it is one of the reasons why Brandon Brooks is only able to play in the first series of the game. It became that debilitating for him. So on the one hand, they were extremely shorthanded. On the other hand, Carson Wentz clearly missed receivers like at least three to five times and fumbled a couple times and held on to the ball too long. How do you reconcile all those guys being out, but Wentz is still missing throws? He probably shouldn't. First off, I want to tell you that I picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl this year. I had them defeating the New England Patriots. I'm as high on the individual talent on the Philadelphia Eagles as anybody. I do want to point out Anytime someone says, I don't want to use this as an excuse, they are about to make an excuse. And that's exactly what we heard from Doug Peterson. Ross, you know this as well as anybody. Injury and attrition is just a part of the game. When you sign up to play professional football, it is not a question of if someone is going to get injured. 
It is a question of simply when someone is going to get injured. Every team in the NFL is having to deal with it. We see Carolina dealing with it without their starting quarterback. We've seen New Orleans deal with it with no Drew Brees and no Alvin Kamara. Kansas City has dealt with it. I've seen them without their left tackle, without their running back, without their quarterback, without Tyreek Hill. Every team in the NFL is dealing with injuries to some extent. Philadelphia is probably one of the more confusing teams in the NFL. We saw them win at Lambeau, a place that not many teams in the NFL can go in and win. But they also lost to Atlanta early in the season when Atlanta was terrible in the early part of the season. So I don't know if anyone has a hold on the Philadelphia Eagles, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. What I mean is, if you look at their schedule in their last five remaining games, at Miami, Miami's terrible, home against the Giants, and at Washington. You should be able to win all three of those games. You put yourself in a situation in the last two games of the season that you play Dallas and you still have them at home and you have the Giants. So... I know it looks bad right now for the Eagles, but you can't you, excuse me, you can't really ask for a better stretch of games down the stretch than the Eagles have. The problem with the Eagles is Carson Wentz. A couple of years ago, I thought that Carson Wentz was poised to win NFL MVP prior to the ACL tear. I think he was going to win that year over Brady. Last year he even had a good season. We've seen him really regress this year. We've seen him regress, and we've seen Jared Goff uh, regress this year, and Mitch Trubisky. So a lot of the young quarterbacks who I think were on that either top tier the way I thought Wentz was or that second tier the way Goff was, we've really seen them regress. I think Wentz is probably their biggest problem that a lot of times your quarterback can kind of mask over some of the deficiencies of your team. It's hard to mask over the deficiencies when you yourself are part of the deficiency. I would agree. Let's keep it in the NFC East. And I'm dying to get your thoughts on this. And I'm dying to hear what the people in D.C. had to say about the Redskins getting a win, (laughs) but probably in particular Dwayne Haskins' performance and missing the last play of the game as he was taking a selfie. Let's listen to the folks down at 106.7 The Fan in D.C. You know, it's just a young quarterback, man. He's in the moment. You know, he thought, uh, uh, you know, from what I heard, he thought he he missed the, he thought the game was over. I mean, the guy got his first career. I'm not going to sit here and beat him up on on him not being out there on the staff. You know, as a young guy, you know, he just has to be a little more locked in and focused on that. But, um, man, we got the win. He he, he got his first career when it was big for him. He was hugging everybody. We're emotional on the sideline. Um, It was a great feeling for him. And, um, you know, I know the coaches will get to it and correct themselves. It's a selfie. They won a game. He's a rookie. Let it go. There, there is so much posturing and so much fake moralizing in the NFL media. The selfie really wasn't a big deal for me. Hey, you're going to paint. I mean, you're going to the crowd. You're taking pictures with guys. The only the only issue is the awareness. Like, you got to have enough game awareness to know, hey, boom, I need to be out in victory formation to close this game out. So I was, I was absolutely shocked. Um, I've in, in all my years of being around football, which encompasses 50, 60 years, I've never seen a situation like that. Um, and that's why, you know, I said what I said. I, you know, Dwayne, it, it was it was something that was immature. As a young man, it's only played 15 football games, counting the two he started as a professional. And and uh, he'll grow into it. I think it's it's a matter of that is over and done with. But you know, you just that moment, let me tell you, from a from a football standpoint, you play 60 minutes of football, and that was a hard-hitting football game. And uh, you're getting the crappy daddy as a quarterback. The offensive linemen are fighting their guts out. 
The running backs are running hard. The receivers are getting pummeled, making unbelievable catches. When you get a chance to get into that victory formation, and you step in the huddle and you go victory formation on one, and you take that last snap, that's a very sacred moment to me. All right, 106.7, the fan in D.C. That was awesome. First you heard some callers, then you heard Morgan Moses, Chris Thompson, and of course I think most people recognize Joe Theismann's voice at the end. I obviously commented on it yesterday, character. I wanted to get your thoughts on Dwayne Haskins missing the last snap, missing the kneel down victory formation because he was taking a selfie. Big deal, no deal, somewhere in the middle. Sacred moment. He called kneeling the football at the end of the game in which the game is in doubt or no, no longer in doubt. A sacred moment. I can't remember. I think it was a caller that said there's so there's so much fake moralization in the NFL. No one really cares about this. If he had missed a significant play, then I'd be on the same side as everybody else. You got to keep your head in the game. You got to stay focused. It shows where your mental is during the moment. But the game was over. There's not a single person that denies if the outcome was in question or not. The Redskins had won the football game. It's his first professional win. He's going off in the crowd. He's celebrating. All right, maybe he should have been there for it. But I just don't have it in my moral fiber to really care that he took a selfie at the end of the game when he all he missed was the clock winding down to go in and knee it. People are treating this like it's some Friday Night Lights situation and that he's Chris Comer and forgot his helmet and they put in Booby Miles and now Booby tore his ACL. That's not what happened here. No one was harmed in the making of this film. He took a selfie. He created a moment for life. None of us are talking about the win because we don't care about the Washington Redskins. Now we care about it because we can talk about this selfie. This is just a way for older people to dog millennials. They do it all the time. They find new ways to poke fun at millennials. This is just another way for them to do it. Let's celebrate the kid getting his first career win. I don't care about the selfie. So I would say I don't think it's a sacred moment. I think that's probably a little much. That's not the word I would use for Joe Theismann. What I would tell you is it is a pretty cool thing. Like when you're in that huddle and you know you've won the game, and you say, uh, you know, victory formation, and you go up to the line, and you look at the guys whose butt you just kicked, it's a good feeling. Now, and, and so ultimately, all that happened is Haskins missed what's a really good feeling, a fun moment. Um, you know, it's in, what's interesting to me about it is, based on some of the other concerns I've heard about Haskins and um, – you know, some of the whispers, some of the things that's been reported about Haskins. Normally I'd be like, ah, he's a young guy. But you know what? This is, I've never heard of this happening to anybody else. And when you combine it with the other concerns that people have about Haskins, it makes you wonder a little bit. So I don't think it's a big deal. Um, and I would think it's almost no deal other than the, the previous concerns, which makes it a little bit of a deal in my mind. Something to keep an eye on, like, how do you not know after the interception, first thing you do is you look at the clock and you see, do I have to go back out there or not? I mean, it's just not, it's not a, it's not a great look for him from a uh, situational awareness football standpoint. All of us have left work early. Like, all of us have been... <coughs> 
I'm sick. So you can get out at 4.30 when you don't get off until 5 o'clock. Just think about it in that context. He had an extra 15 minutes left on his shift, but he cut work early. I'm not going to get that upset about it. Basically, it comes to, and Ross, you know this from being in the locker room, do the other 52 guys in that locker room really care about it? If this is an issue in the Redskins locker room, then all right, this is something to talk about. This just feels like this is a media story, and this is something that Joe in Landover, Maryland is worried about, but Adrian Peterson's not worried about. I want to get one more of these in because I love hearing from the people in the cities where this stuff's happening. How about the Browns after yet another win and going into the rematch with the Steelers? Let's listen to what our folks from 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, came up with for us. Rudolph got benched today. It would be disappointing if he doesn't play next week. I really care, bro. You guys did such a great job. Of- I hope he plays. I hope he plays. Why? Did you see him last night? But let me just say right now, I'm sick of Mason Rudolph. I don't need to hear him talk anymore. He sucks. Bleep him. I, he should have been suspended more. And I said last Friday, what got lost in fans getting mad at us was that I did say that Mason Rudolph should be suspended. Uh, people yeah. got so caught up in the who started it nonsense. And I'm yeah. sick of Mason Rudolph. I'm sick of him. Yeah, he stinks. Looking like the great gazoo. And, and, and I, you know what? I wish he wasn't suspended. I'm glad he didn't get suspended because I hope he plays. And Sheldon Richardson's right. He stinks, and hopefully he'll play because the Browns are on a roll right now. And I think the Browns are going to Pittsburgh Sunday, and they're going to kick Pittsburgh's ass. Oh, they're going to kill them. They're going to kick their ass. And 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 if the great kazoo yeah, gets on the plays. field, I, I, hope I hope they knock him on his ass again. Not with a helmet. <laughs> Not with a helmet. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a, a lot of sacks. He stinks. And they stink. And, uh, well, we'll get more to that later. The first voice you heard there was Sheldon Richardson. Then it was a lot of Adam the Bull there in Cleveland. Uh, You know, I'll say this, Karen. I've been way down on Freddie Kitchens like most people. You know, that short week game against the Steelers, they were more prepared than the Steelers were. Better plan for that game. Then on Sunday, you know, all the distractions and Garrett the suspension, and then he says that there was a racial slur and no Garrett, no Ogunjobi, and they absolutely took care of business against the Miami Dolphins. I got to give them credit for what they've done the last couple weeks. All I heard, Ross, was a lot of talking from a five and six football team. There's no team in the NFL that has accomplished less that talks more than the Cleveland Browns. Their hosts are doing the exact same thing. This team is on a roll. All right, I guess you beat the Miami Dolphins, who are going to have the second overall pick. You beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, who Mason Rudolph, he is terrible, and they're playing their third-string quarterback. Buffalo was a good win. Let's get over 500 before we start having these conversations. It seems very simple to me. Cleveland is not a disciplined football team for you to trust them to go on a prolonged and sustained run. I'm with you. I was high on Cleveland at the very beginning of the season. I was all in. I was drinking the Kool-Aid when it came to the Cleveland Browns. But I realized very early on that you can't have the quarterback play that they have, commit the amount of penalties and mental mistakes that they have, and think that you're a playoff team. The schedule will break right for them, but are they going to be disciplined enough? Are they talented enough to take advantage of the schedule? I don't know. We'll see. 
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We got to talk a little bit of college football with my guy, Pete Thamel, who's the best college football writer and newsman in the business for Yahoo. Pete, it's Ross. I've got Carrington filling in for Dave today. Really appreciate the time, as always. I, I guess I'll just start, Pete, with the Oregon loss from a college football playoff perspective. What does it mean? Well, I think it, I think it means a lot. It it hurts the Pac-12 double, Ross, because obviously it takes their top contender on paper and pulls it out of the college football playoff race, and then it hurts the case for Utah, which really only has uh, it really has no quality wins right now. And Oregon was going to be their chance at a quality win in the Pac-12 title game. <coughs> if Utah wins this week, they obviously clinch the Pac-12 South. So that matchup. They needed to help each other, and they needed to both be one-loss teams. And Oregon simply flopped, like an epic flop. Uh, there, there's no other way to say it. They they had a much better team. Arizona State was reeling. They'd lost four straight games. And there you know, there was Oregon uh, headed down to the desert and, and melting in front of our eyes. And, you, you know, Larry Scott just had to say, what do we need to do, the Pac-12 commissioner? Because that, uh, that league is on a, uh, on a run of irrelevancy that does not look like it'll be reversed this year. Pete, I got to ask you, I know you've spent uh, a lot of time around Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, I know you probably talked to him about his decision to stay in school after last season. He's come back. I think he's had a good year. He had a horrendous game right. Saturday night. Horrendous. Can you just tell us a little bit more about why he stayed in school? Because I'm starting to wonder if he's the next in the line of the Matt Leinerts and Matt Barkley's that maybe even hurt his draft stock by staying in school? I don't want to overreact to one game, Ross, because he has had a very good season. I don't have the statistics in front of me off the top of my head, but his touchdown to interception is eye-poppingly good. Uh, I think there's a, there's a few things with Justin Herbert. We'll, we'll start to answer your question. And he came back in, in part because his brother was going to play. His brother's a, a freshman tight end. Um, 
for the Ducks. He also had a serious academic bend in what he had done there. And this was going to be, he was a biology major. He, if he was not the starting quarterback who would go to the NFL, he was going to become a doctor. So he has above a 4.0 grade point average. I don't even think you could do that at Syracuse. And I certainly didn't threaten it in school. I promise you that. Uh, And he thought this year would be good for his football development in order to finish his classes, graduate in the spring, and then come back for the quarters in the fall and the winter and not have foot, not have academics, which were a huge time commitment for him, to slow him down at all, and he could focus fully on football. Uh, I do think the system he's playing in uh, has not maximized his skill set to, to some extent. And I talking to NFL people, they don't they they love his raw physical talent and his arm. He made two throws in the prior week, Ross, that you would fall off your chair. They were wow throws to the to the Maximus. And so um, I don't know. I I my hunch is that he will still be the number one pick in the NFL draft because the raw and physical talent is there. But I I will not argue with you. He was awful the other night. He was missing screen passes. He was inconsistent. He was throwing the ball high. He was throwing it too hard. He missed open guys. Like that that loss in a lot of ways starts with him because he was, you know, he he was just simply not accurate. And uh yeah, it's it's going to be a, a, an interesting finish. He he does need to finish strong. The the NFL loves the hot quarterback. A couple games like Saturday in a row could cool him a bit. Hey, Pete, really appreciate you coming on today. I've got a toss-up question for you. Who's more likely to make the playoff, Utah or Oklahoma? So I'm on Team Utes right now. I just think if you watched Alabama, if you've watched Utah, and if you've watched Oklahoma, Utah is the most consistent team. They're better on both sides of the ball. Uh, They have Really excellent quarterback play with Tyler Hundley. Zach Moss is one of the five best tailbacks in college football. And they have a defensive line. If you're going to be successful in the playoff, you're probably going to end up playing an SEC team. You need a defensive line that the NFL drools over. And Utah has a top five defensive line in the sport. Um, That's a position they've always recruited well. They usually have a a pipeline to some Polynesian kids. Morgan Scali, their defensive coordinator, has the country's third best unit uh, in terms of scoring defense. And I really think that pound for pound, Utah is the best. I know you asked me a toss up, Carrington. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spread it out to three and I'm going to put Utah in at the the four right now with what we've seen of them. Pete, you bring up Alabama. What's the argument for Alabama making the playoff that's resume based and not historically based because this year they don't appear to have the non-con wins. They don't have Tua, and they're not going to win the sec West. I feel like if Alabama is included in the playoff, it's based on what they've accomplished in the past and not what they've done this season. Oh, I think that's a I think that's a very fair argument. Uh, I'll be at Alabama Auburn on Saturday, and it's literally going to be like not only covering a game, but it's almost going to be covering like like doing like a movie review because our prism of the Alabama that we need to judge for the playoff is going to play out for sixty minutes in that Auburn game, and so. It's going to be style points. It's going to be projecting forward against better teams. It's going to be everything. I really think they'll be – if Alabama makes a playoff this year, I think they'll end up expanding the playoff within 18 months because I think there will be such outrage because, as you mentioned, Karen, that their, their resume is completely empty. And if they're making it, they're making it based on brand, and that's going to cause discomfort around college football. Remember, we only got to the playoff 
because Alabama ended up playing LSU in the bowl championship series title game back in, I think it was 11. And that offseason, magically, everyone revolted and we had the playoff now. Uh, and I think going forward, we will end up at eight. It's a matter of when. What's the trigger? This could be the trigger. All right, Pete, last one. Speaking of coaching, you broke the news that Rutgers and Shiano were breaking it off. I'm a little confused. I mean, it sounded like Rutgers wanted to make this happen. It sounded like Rutgers gave Shiano a lot. What what was the sticking point? What was the one thing or the two things that just made it not happen? Because it sounded like both parties, or at least Rutgers, wanted this to happen. So there were basically Shiano three weeks ago laid out a plan and said to be minimally competitive, we need this staff salary pool, this support staff salary pool, and this dedication to facilities. And for three weeks, Rutgers led Chiano and his camp to believe that they were going to fulfill those. And then finally, at the end, they did not basically come through and want to invest as much as she, as much as, sorry about that, as much as Shiano felt like they needed to invest. And look, building a facility for somewhere around $100 million is a huge investment for a place like Rutgers, which really, I think at the core, Rutgers has no institutional desire to be capable at football. Uh, they just built a $100 million, they just did more than $100 million in facilities in their athletic department and didn't put a dime into football. They built beautiful buildings for basketball, for gymnastics, all the, you know, they, they just poured a ton of money in and they didn't invest it in football. And that is just like, that's athletic director malfeasance. Because if you're going to run an athletic department, you need good football in the Big Ten. Like that is it. That is 90% of your priority. Everything else is window dressing. If, you're, if you are running the athletic department in a proper way. Like we did earlier, we've got some terrific sound from 105.3 The Fan, our Dallas affiliate on the radio.com app. And I have an ease, a sneaky suspicion what they'll be talking about. Coach, there's a there's a stat called win probability. It basically tells you before each play your chances of winning the game, whether they increase or decrease based on the play you're going to run. Do you have that information available to you, you know, during the game based on each play? Like, hey, if we kick the field goal here, our chance of winning the game goes up or down. Yeah, we don't use those stats within the game. You can feel when they were asking him about the analytics and his answer. Like, the whole room was like, we, we can't believe you're saying this. No, oh, it looks horrible on him. Like, for him to actually admit that, like, just lie to me. I'm, I'm used to being lied to by everyone in my life. Everyone. Even, like, I'm, I'm used to being lied to by coaches, governments, whatever. I'm used to it. Just lie to me. Uh, You know... I, I could go a lot of ways with this, Carrington. I think I probably give Jason Garrett the benefit of the doubt because he went to the same college I went to, and I like to see him do well. But when he makes a comment like that, that we don't look at the stats during the game or in the game, that's that's a bad look. I don't want anyone to mention where he went to school because that's a bad look for my school. Ross, I would imagine that at some point you prepare for the show. You don't take the prep that you do at home and then bring it onto the air or on the show? That's basically what Jason Garrett said. Football coaches love to tout that they spend 70 hours working and they sleep at the facility and they got a cot and how much film they're watching. 
What's the purpose of doing all of that if you don't use the information during the most important time? The time to use the information is not on Tuesday. The time to use the information is on Sunday during the football game. I would never say that out loud. At this point, if the Cowboys keep Jason Garrett, they are a commitment to mediocrity. The Cowboys have been the exact same team for the last 15 years. 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and 10-6. and six. At best, they're going to win their division and lose in the first round of the playoffs. If they continue with Jason Garrett, that's exactly what they signed themselves up for. This team has far too much talent to be as mediocre as they are. Ross, you've probably seen this before. You know when you watch TV and then you see a fast food commercial and then you see what the sandwich looks like. You're like, man, it looks pretty good. And then you drive in your car and then you finally get, you're like, what is this? I didn't pay for this. That's what the Cowboys are. They look really good in the commercial. And then when you got it home after you ordered it, it was completely different. They got a top five quarterback. They have an elite level running back. They traded a first round pick for Amari Cooper. They paid Demarcus Lawrence. They got Byron Jones. They have all the pieces in the world. Yet they are the most mediocre nine and seven football team that you can watch. Always love talking with my guy, Andrew Filipponi. He is a stud out of Pittsburgh. And there's a lot to talk about with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He does a great job, as always, hosting his show. You can check him out, The Pony Express. Uh, I know a little bit about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I want to know what the environment is going to be like for that game on Sunday when the Browns come to town. Because I know what people in Pittsburgh pride themselves on. I know that they don't think anybody can ever bully them or beat them up. What is that place going to be like on Sunday? Uh, it's going to be like the Roman Coliseum, uh, Ross. I had uh, a Heinz Field employee tell me a, a couple days ago, actually, that he doesn't think he's going to let Miles Garrett jerseys into the stadium, that there's already been a conversation among some of the um, security staff and uh, people at the gates at the stadium who are on watch for anything that they think is going to create a disturbance inside the stadium. And believe it or not, I guess a jersey with a guy's last name on it is enough to get you either booted or uh, prohibited from the stadium. So that's the first thing. I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I think the environment in there is going to depend on who the quarterback is for the game. Uh, I don't think it's going to be uh, an us-against-the-world a, a Pittsburgh versus Cleveland situation, guys, if Mason Rudolph is the quarterback. If that's the case, then I think, believe it or not, if Rudolph starts, I think the Steelers fans could turn on the Steelers very quickly in that game Sunday. Pony, I was going to ask you about the quarterback situation. Much was to made to do of Mason Rudolph being benched. Who do you think the starting quarterback is going to be on Sunday? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, – I think it's going to be Duck. I was in Cincinnati on Sunday – uh, I had heard from some Steelers people before the game that Tomlin had vacillated on his quarterback for that game, that there was some discussion and actually a lot of debate among the coaching staff and even some of the front office over should it be Rudolph or Hodges against the Bengals. There was a lot of concern that not only was the four interception game from Rudolph not a mistake or an outlier, but that he just was not handling everything that came out of that game uh, appropriately or in a way that gave them confidence that there was some doubt about where he was at mentally and emotionally 
going into that game. He played very rattled. His body language was atrocious, Carrington. And I think the team, every time Hodges has gone into games, the Steelers have responded. They almost beat the Ravens at home when Hodges came in for Rudolph after he took that big hit that put him in concussion protocol. He went to the Chargers and beat L.A. Uh, He did not play like lights out in that game, but he played better than Aaron Rodgers did in L.A. against the Chargers. And then I thought he made one big play against the Bengals and didn't have any ghastly mistakes or errors. So Tomlin is very good at reading his locker room, guys. And I think the locker room, the air would come out of it if he went in there yesterday and said, Mason is going to be our starting quarterback. Well, look, I just think for years, Mason Rudolph versus Lamar Jackson, that is going to be a matchup to watch. That is one I am excited. That's an even game right there at the quarterback position. Mason Rudolph against Lamar Jackson. Oh, oh, it hurts. It hurts. Pony, appreciate the time. Tell everybody in Pittsburgh to just chillax a little bit on Sunday. I mean, let me just, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh, those people are tough. Philadelphia, they're they're a little crazy. But either way, I would not be rocking Browns gear, and I definitely would not wear a Miles Garrett jersey on Sunday. Well, I had somebody tell me that that's why they moved the game time, boys, that they're not, you know, all pile. No, I don't mean any disrespect, Carrington, to your situation, but you can't tell me that more eyes are going to be on Chiefs Raiders Sunday they're going to send Jim Nance and Tony Romo to call a game that the Chiefs are probably going to win by 17 points. I mean, the only reason why they moved that game to 1 o'clock is because they don't want liquored-up Steelers fans and Browns fans getting arrested, and that being a spotlight game for the NFL this Sunday. Going to start this hour with a buddy of mine, Solomon Wilcots from PFF, Pro Football Focus we go ahead and we talk to somebody from Pro Football Focus every week because we're ahead of the game. We're smart. We know what the deal is. We know that this is the future. And really, it's not just the future. It is the present. Solly, it's Ross. We've seen Jason Garrett say yesterday on one of our affiliates, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, that he does not use the in-game win probability data as a guy that works for PFF, your thoughts on that? Well, he's behind the curve, right? Um, because there are other coaches who are using the data. Certainly a John Harbaugh, and you can see the way he coaches, the way he empowers his team to be able to make more plays. He's a coach that literally is leveraging um, technology and the data that we now use and can crunch um, through computer technology and machine learning to help you make better decisions in game. I think we saw that play out on Sunday when Jason Garrett could have made some better decisions that would have given his team a better opportunity to win games. And we also see it play out in a more positive manner for a team like the Baltimore Ravens. Solomon, uh, in your opinion, why don't more teams do this? Is it stubbornness? Is it just archaic thinking? It seems so obvious to me that if you're an NFL team, you would want to use all the information that's at your fingertips. Why don't you think more teams do this? You know, and, and really, when you think about it, uh, what we do here at PFF, we grade every player on every play. and We crunch the data. Um, but really, it is. It's a tool, right? It's a tool that you've got to be able to digest the information, interpret it 
um, properly and then be able to deliver that information to your players to help them to go out and execute. And I think um, each coach is different. Um, some coaches are able to, to digest that information, to be able to interpret it properly and be able to give it to their players in a game plan in some way, shape, or form. Other coaches may just use it to evaluate talent or to evaluate players maybe in free agency or through the draft. Another team may use it um, um, for salary cap measures in terms of uh, evaluating and quantifying how much they want to pay players. The data can take you very far. There is no doubt about it. I think you could use it to help you make better um, decisions in just about every single area, including in-game situational moments. Um, you got to really, I think, stop down to ask every single team, every single coach, why do you use it? Why don't you use it? How can you use it? How can you use this to make you better? We try to help them with that. We've got all 32 teams signed up and work with us here at PFF and over 70 Division I college teams. So I think the longer they use it, the better they use it. Some teams are more ingrained and more understanding of the data than others. It's interesting, Sally, because evidently Jerry Jones was just on our affiliate in Dallas, 105.3 The Fan, available on the Radio.com app. And I guess he was on with Sean and RJ, and I guess he has Jason Garrett's back when it comes to no analytics. Let's take a listen together. No, that's uh, 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 that would be a preference on his part that he's expressing, but I happen to agree with him. Uh, the uh, analytics aspect of it is a history of how these decisions have worked out. Uh, that's probably good to know, but the momentum of the game, the situation of the game, the, uh, uh, if you will, in the other night's game, the uh, conditions of the game, uh, all of that are uh, more important in my mind than the the uh, 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 success history of a, a similar decision. Uh, you're dealing uh, with uh, uh, of averages. You're dealing with uh, uh, almost theory. And uh, you're certainly dealing with a result, but it doesn't take into account really the uh, uh, kinds of times when you've gone against every odds and made it work. I've had my big success when I'm sure analytics would have said, make the other decision the other way. Jerry, and I may be way off on this analogy, but like as an oil guy, like if a scientist told you there's oil there, you're you're probably going to drill. Like, don't you think that information is useful to the to the team? That hey, if you go for it here, you increase your chance of winning by three percent. Not really, not really. Uh, uh, there's so many more questions to ask than if oil is there. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I actually thought I actually thought I could understand what Jerry was saying, meaning like weather conditions or how the game's going. Like, I almost thought he had a good argument. But then when they say if the scientist says he's pretty sure there's oil there, he goes, no, it wouldn't make a difference to me. <laughs> that is rough. That is hey, solid. That's rough. That's rough, man. Hey, you know, we talk about this, Ross. There are some science deniers. There are some deniers of, of analytics. But it was just last week that Jerry Jones praised one of the best coaches that the game's ever seen in Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick 
is not a denier of data analytics. In fact, he was one of the first coaches to begin to embrace using data. Now, data, yes, is it, uh, do we have models that are based on things that have occurred in the past? Yes. But we also have models that are highly predictive on future behavior, okay? Because these models take into account all probabilities, and then it's going to give you, it doesn't tell you something is guaranteed to happen. It tells you here are the ratios, here are the probabilities, and the likelihood of these things happening. Ross, you and I, we played in the game. We know that all of our game plans that if I, as a defensive back, if I see down in distance, 11 personnel, okay, in a certain formation, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to run a certain play, but there's a high probability that they're going to run a certain play, and I'm going to hedge. I am going to lean on that information and try to make the best play that I can based on the information that I have. And I made a lot of plays that way. Uh, Rod Woodson, who's a Hall of Fame defensive back, has over 70 career interceptions. He made those plays using the same kind of information, taking in the data and using his analytics to hedge to be able to make a lot of plays. So when a coach or an owner says that, no, I'm not going to use information, I'm just going to play with my gut, I, I really don't know what they're talking about. And that's not, you're not going to have a high level of success if that's the way you're leaning. And maybe that's why the Cowboys are 0-4 right now against teams with a winning record. So obviously we can determine that the Cowboys are not good at this. Who are some teams that you think use this method and use it at a high level? Well, I think the Baltimore Ravens is one. Uh, I think going into the Monday night game, they were converting about 71% of their fourth down plays. They're going for it more on fourth down than a lot of other teams. Uh, the 49ers are another one of those teams. Um, and, and the New England Patriots, they use their, you know, they use the PFF data, but they have their own metrics that they fold a lot of the data that they can get from us. And they formulate their own game plan. The Eagles, uh, when they beat the uh, New England Patriots in the Super Bowl and went for it on fourth down, remember that? The touchdown pass to Nick Foles. Um, they converted two fourth down plays in that Super Bowl, and it kind of convinced um, the Patriots that, you know what, they have information that we don't. Maybe we ought to go out and get it too. And then the Patriots also became a customer. So um, those are just a few of the teams that are using it and using it at a very high level. And uh, they're able to win on Sundays by making some very important decisions. The Indianapolis Colts are another one of those teams. Frank Wright, um, he has his own data analysts in-house, and uh, but they take the information that we provide for them and they put it to good use. Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.